again, uh, James, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 7. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 7. James chapter 1, verse 2 reads, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If, you lack, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Book of James, and continue our walk through the epistle of James this morning. We'll be in verses 2 down to verse 18. I mentioned last week that the epistle by our brother James is the topic of much misunderstanding. In fact, uh, there are some who uh, completely misunderstand the point of the book of James. James is very clear in his writing, and it has to be understood that he's writing to believers primarily. Uh, You can see that when he writes things like, my brethren, that's the beginning of verse 2. We're going to see that at the very beginning of our passage for today, my brethren. Brethren, he uses that phrase 11 times throughout the book. Three times he uses the phrase, my beloved brethren. He's not just talking about his blood-related relatives. Uh, These are believers, and he's assuming that they are believers. Uh, I mentioned last week that it's a topic of much misunderstanding throughout the book. And in fact, some many theologians over the years have kind of had an aversion or a hatred, as it were, to the book of James. Uh, you might remember the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a formerly a priest, 1500s, uh, who kind of kicked off the Protestant Reformation by calling attention to justification by faith that is written at length in the book of Romans. Uh, it's been said that he did not like the book of James. Uh, at one point, he actually called it an epistle of straw. His point was not that it was a bad epistle. It was just he wished that there was more about salvation in the epistle of James. At one point later in his life, he made a statement to the effect of, I wish I could throw Jimmy in the stove. <laughs> what a way to say something about a portion of the Bible. And although some would say that he wanted it rid from the New Testament, that's actually quite false. He greatly appreciated the book of James in the way that the book of James points us to the fact that there is a way that you should be acting as a believer. You don't go to the book of James looking for how do you get saved, but instead, it's not a roadmap to salvation. Instead, you can call it a mirror of how you should be living if you are a believer. And as we walked through last week, there's about 10 different tests that are given. We'll spend 10 weeks. Today is the first one. And the first one is a mirror, a test. You might say it like this. Do you give up in the midst of temptation? Do you give up? Do you just quit 
When a trial, a tribulation, a problem comes up in your life, do you just quit? And if you do, there's a really good chance you're not a believer. And that's the point that he's making in our passage today. It'll be verse 2 down to verse 18. His statement is going to be at the very beginning in verse 2, count it all joy. And I just ask a question. Joy in tribulation? Joy in his word? temptation. I see verses 2 to 4 as introductory, so come with me to verse 2. I'll read verses 2 down to verse 4. Here's what he writes. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. The word diverse is not divers like you put on a mask and you dive down into the water. That's a, it's not the temptation to stay underwater for too long, all right? It's not, not divers temptation, but diverse. In modern English, you would add an E to the end of that word. Diverse, meaning various or different. Count it joy when you fall into diverse, various, different kinds of temptation. And I'm going to go ahead and say this at the beginning. He's going to give us three different kinds of temptation that come up in our life. You and I would know there's a lot of different kinds of temptations. We might use the words trials, tribulations, temptations. We'll use them interchangeably today. And I think he's using them interchangeably as we walk through the passage. I'll do my best to show them to you. He says, count it all joy because, you saw in verse number 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh or produces, it brings out in your life, patience. I'm going to be honest, this week, this sermon has been for me. Because this week, welcome back from two weeks of not having to do anything, to welcome back to everything is just kind of falling apart. (laughs) My first day back, I loved the fact that we get to go to Badihagua and pass out Bibles, but my first hour of welcome back to everything is stacked up. Let's walk away from everything stacked up and go minister to people. And we walk away, and I love the fact that we got to minister to people, but guess what? That added a couple of hours to, and it didn't get any better through the whole week. In fact, by Thursday, our power was still blackout. On the sixth day of the generator running 24-7, and at one point, the generator coughing and trying to quit on us. And on Thursday afternoon, after having written a sermon about, count it all joy, when you fall into diverse temptations, at the end, I'm not kidding, within an hour of me writing this sermon, I got a phone call from PNG Power to tell me that there are PNG Power linesmen who bless their hearts, they do dangerous jobs 24 hours a day. I'm so thankful for them. But here I get a phone call from PNG Power to tell me that there's linesmen at the gate, they can't get through the gate because security won't let them through. And I've just talked to the security guards 30 seconds before and they said, we've already let them through. So here I'm telling this guy on the phone, we already let them through, they can do their job. And the guy on the phone, no, they can't get through, you better open the gate. And I'm thinking, if they don't get through right now, it's going to be another six days before we get power turned on 
And so I jump in my car, and I'm talking to somebody on the phone while I'm reversing my car. You paint the picture. This can only get worse. And somebody had parked a green Pajero behind my car, and I reversed right into that car. My car into that car. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. Now here, you know what natural man does? As temptation comes upon natural man, I'm speaking to you as your pastor, as a man who has to go through sanctification. In my Bible, and I don't count it a mistake at all, maybe your Bible's laid out a different way, but in my Bible, chapter 1 and verse 3 is on this side, and chapter 1 and verse 20 is on the other side. Let me read to you. The natural man in the midst of temptation, you know what he does? He gets angry. Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. For the, you remember verse one in, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Now chapter 1 and verse 20. The wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Did you follow that? Verse 3 said that God's letting tribulations come into your life so it can work patience in your life. And me, back in a car out, shouldn't have been on the phone while I was driving the vehicle. Should have been a little bit more patient with some linesmen. Should have been thankful that somebody parked a car and it was my fault for not looking in the mirror before I backed up. That's not anybody else's fault but mine. But, and you know what God's doing? God's allowing Matt Allen as the pastor to live out the sermon that's about to be preached. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Oh, this is no mistake that God's laid it out in my Bible side by side. And God's going, hey, I'm doing a work in your life, so count it all joy. And I think to myself, joy in tribulation? Question mark? How's that work? And he's going to give us several of them as we walk through the passage. Why? Why? Why count it all joy? Know that it creates, it makes, it produces patience in your life. The word patience literally means cheerful endurance. You're going to go through this with a cheerful heart, knowing that God's bringing this into your life for your good, and He's exposing some things in your heart that you would not have seen if you hadn't had to go through this. I'll give you an example. On an average morning, how do things go for you on your average morning? Maybe on your average morning, you wake up, and you get up in the morning, and you walk down to your children's room, knock on the door, good morning, children of mine, blessed be of the Lord. It is now time to rise and prepare to go to school. And they wake and open their eyes and thank you, mother, thank you, father. I'm so blessed to have you in my life to wake me with such a calming voice. And you go and you make breakfast, and while you're making breakfast, maybe you listen to NBC, and it just comes through so clearly, and you listen, and you're caught up on the news by the time you finish making breakfast. The children come, having had their wash. They come and sit around the table. You never had to tell them to have their wash. They're just good children like that. <laughs> sit around the table... And you have devotions together, and blessed be ye of the Lord. And when you get up, you say, let me go and wash the dishes. And the children say, oh no, we arise and call you blessed. 
And they say, we will wash the dishes for you. They go and wash, and you say, oh, what a wonderful, that's not the trying of your faith in the least bit. In fact, more likely, if your life is like my life, you get up and you think to yourself, why in the world did I set an alarm for this time, ungodly time of day? And how is it? I did not play rugby yesterday, but my back feels like I've been run over by a truck. You go and wake the children and you tell them to have a wash and they, under their breath, curse you. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Water PNG turned everything off anyway. <laughs> Can't have a wash. Can't flush the toilet. <laughs> Nothing seems to be working right. That's what life is more like. And you realize that God's bringing that into your life so that you'll have the opportunity to see, how do I respond in the midst of tribulations? Am I being more and more conformed like the image of his son, or am I more and more not representing the righteousness of God in my life? I want to exhibit, as a blood-bought child of God, I want to be exhibiting genuine, heartfelt, cheerful endurance in the midst of this tribulation. You see, every trial is a result that, or is a reminder that you are not in control. Water PNG is not in control, and PNG Power is not in control, and BSP is not in control, and all of the things that we see that we think should work right that don't, they're not in control. The private sector isn't in control. Friend, the last LNG project wasn't the answer, and the next one won't be either. But our Heavenly Father, who is in heaven, is in control of all things. And He has decided to allow this to come into your life. That the building of the patience in your life would be for your good and for your edification. So then verse 4, let patience have her perfect work. I want you to hear those words. Her perfect work. Log them away. Those are going to be important as we go through the day. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word perfect, you and I will never be perfect, perfect as we know it, but the word perfect there means complete, entire, perfect. And notice the other word it says, and entire, perfect, complete, entire. If I was to translate that and come to modern day words so that you can be complete and complete, that's what it's... You, as that patience is doing its work in my life and I'm building up, I'm being complete and complete in Him. I want that. I don't want to be lacking in any area. And so, count it all joy when various, diverse temptations come up in your life. He's going to give us three of them. I'll do my best to unpack them. The first one is in verse 5 through verse 8. This would be facing the unknown. Something happens in your life. You're going to be facing the unknown. Here's verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. I'll define that in a moment. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The problem is that trials will come upon your life and you just don't know what to do with those trials. There are things that happen and you go, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. So then what do I do? Verse 5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. 
that tribulation, that trial, that temptation that comes up in your life. I don't know how to face this, Lord, so what do I do with it? I'm going to turn to the Heavenly Father, and I'm going to ask of God, God, I need Your wisdom. I need Your help in this situation. I don't know how to go through it. And I love the words of verse 5. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, he will not mock you. He will not put you down. He will not sit you down and try to explain to you this is the proper way to use it and the improper way to use it. I think Solomon's the best example of this. You remember the Old Testament Solomon? He just stepped into dad's shoes, King David. How do you fill King David's shoes? And Solomon's now young man called upon to lead the nation, they are on a trajectory to the best place economically that the nation had ever been or will ever be. And now he steps into this position and he recognized, I am short on wisdom, I don't know how to lead this nation, and God appeared to him, Solomon, what would you like? And Solomon purposely did not ask for long life, He did not ask for riches. He did not ask for favor. He asked for one thing. God, give me wisdom. I don't know how to lead these people. And God's example there, God said, because you asked of wisdom and you did not ask of these other things, I will heap wisdom upon you. And the words of Scripture, Solomon was wiser than any man that ever lived. People traveled from all over the world to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. And listen to the words that are used in James chapter 1 and verse 5. He gives that wisdom liberally and he upbraideth not. God had every right to sit Solomon down. Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom far above what any man has ever enjoyed. But there's coming a day in your life, Solomon, when you're going to use this wisdom for your own benefit. And you're going to turn your back on me. You see, that's, that's upbraiding. Instead, God just said, here you go, liberal wisdom. Amen. Amen. Friend, oh, we have a heavenly Father who delights in the prayers of His people. Lord, I haven't got any clue how to handle this, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. But Lord, would you give me the wisdom? And He says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Come and ask Him. Amen. If you've ever sat through counseling with me, This is typically my opening prayer in our counseling sessions. God, you've said that you would give wisdom, and so I pray right now for wisdom. Friend, can I encourage you? You come to trials in life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Let every man ask of him. He gives liberally, liberally, in abundance, he gives wisdom. And he upbraids not. He does not make a mockery of you. And then verse 6 he says, but let, ev- let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And that man, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when you hit a trial, Christian friend, when you hit a trial, come to the Lord asking for wisdom and ask without wavering. This is important. Remember, your faith is in Him. Let me say that very clearly. Your faith is not in your faith. I hear that misused so often. Pastor, this is something that might not come up because me holding faith blew me. 
Your faith is not in your faith. Your faith is in Him. And the promise here is that if you will trust Him, He will give you wisdom. It doesn't say He'll give you health and riches. It says He'll give you wisdom. So that when you come up against those trials, Lord, I need wisdom. He says, I'm going to give it to you. But if you waver, that's not putting trust in Him. That's instead you're saying, I'm going to try Him out for a couple of minutes. And if that doesn't work, I'll go try out something else. That's wavering. And oh, how often we see this happen. Guys, I'm going to pause here for just a moment and speak of the trials of health that we see for our own children within our current society. I saw this a lot in my years at Koriranga, and I thought when I moved to the city that that would, what I saw there would go away, but actually I've seen it at a greater degree here in the city than I saw in the village. The thing that I've seen is when a child gets sick, typically we'll take the child, the family will take the child, go to the hospital, and the doctor will prescribe a medicine Can I remind you that there's a phrase within the medical world? It's called practicing medicine. They say practicing medicine because they haven't got it all figured out. It's okay. So they administer a medicine, uh, moxicillin, doxycycline, they administer a medicine, and when we get home and we try that medicine for a few days, that medicine doesn't work. And what we should do is we should go back to the hospital and tell the doctor, we did this and it didn't work. The reason they prescribe, and and let me just help you here, the reason they prescribe a drug is because they, from their learning and experience, have seen that that drug often works. And when that drug doesn't work, they have alternative drugs that they'll try. Again, practicing medicine. This is known as common grace. Biblically, we can call that common grace. In other words, God has given this common grace to all of us, whether you're saved or you're unsaved, you're a child of God or you're a wicked sinner, you still get this grace from God that God has given the wisdom to doctors to be able to follow through on this. But so often what I see happen, we go to the doctor and after three days of taking that medicine, it didn't work, so you already know where I'm headed with this. We turn and we go to some glass mine in the village. And we hope that perhaps maybe he can glass it. And you guys know, 99 times out of 100, you know what he's going to say. I'm sick for place. We got some kind ting ting. Or maybe it's your neighbor is jealous. Guys, call it white magic, call it black magic, call it whatever you want to be. I'm just being honest with you this morning, guys. Call it whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, dude's playing with the spirits, and you're not supposed to be doing that according to the scriptures. He's playing with the spirits. Guys, demons are real. Satan's real. But we are commanded to steer clear of that stuff. Scripture is clear. You steer clear of that stuff. So when you go down the road to the glass man... Did you ever find it ironic that most of the time sorcery-related accusation violence has nothing to do with the glass man that we pay, but it has everything to do with the lady down the street who had nothing to do with anything? Just let that one ruminate in the back of your mind. Think about that later. 
We don't come and go after that guy because we paid him. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally. That verse doesn't mean come to God and ask God which one of your neighbors or relatives is it that's been casting a spell on your family. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, ask God for wisdom. God, my child is sick right now, and I'm terrified what might end up happening if things don't change. So God, would you give me wisdom right now? You know what God might steer you to do? He might steer you to go to the hospital. He might steer you to call your friends and ask your friends, and especially your church brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters in Christ, would you get on your knees before our Heavenly Father and beg for my child's life? But oh, how often we just take a shortcut with a double-minded way. And the words that are used in verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in his, all his ways. In verse 7, the one who wavers, don't ever let him think that he's going to receive something from the Lord. Oh, friend, plant your feet in the firm promises that he will give wisdom. That's what he said, I'll give you wisdom. And maybe... This is next level Christianity, friend. Maybe that wisdom is for you to see how this illness for your child is for your good and for his glory. That's next level Christianity. But, oh, friend, may I implore you, don't be like the wave tossed in the sea. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The word that's used here unstable that's the only time in all of scripture that it's used but the word double-minded is used twice a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and the other time that it's used james uses it later in his book and we'll see this in a few weeks here's what he says in james chapter 4 and verse 8 james chapter 4 and verse 8 he says draw nigh to god come to him Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, I'm hearing a theme here. If I don't root myself in Jesus, I'm going to end up being double-minded. I'm going to be cast about. I'm not going to be receiving the promise of the Lord. And He's calling me sinful, unclean. I need to purify my heart. So in the midst of a trial, church, when you're facing the unknown, count it all joy. I wonder, to come back to the beginning question, as a test of your salvation, when you come into a trial, do you quit? Do you give up? I hope not. Second one is in verses 9 down to verse 11. And this one has to do with our finances. Verse 9 down to verse 11, I think all of us can feel this at some point. Uh, trials that have to do financially. Look at verse 9. I love verse 9. I think, by the way, verse 9 is one of the most duh kind of statements in all of the Bible. So you read it with me and you'll see why I said duh. Verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Duh. If you've been poor all your life and all of a sudden a rich uncle died and left you a whole bunch of money, <laughs> rejoice! Let the brother who is of low degree rejoice when he's exalted. And I think that that's the easiest verse to follow in all of the Bible. I've been struggling all my life and now I don't have to struggle anymore. Rejoice! <laughs> and now he's going to go the opposite direction. Verse 10. 
but the rich, in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The first half was really easy to see. If you've been poor and you're made rich, oh, rejoice. But the second half is much more difficult. If you are rich and you find yourself in a financial difficulty, also rejoice. Verse 10, the beginning of verse 10, it doesn't say rejoice, but you can see it. It's understood. Verse 10, but the rich, and you can insert the word rejoice because it comes from verse 9. Verse 10, but the rich do what? Rejoice in that he is made low. And so as you come into financial difficulties, you should rejoice. So it's the poor, when he sees a change in his life status, now he's going to have better financial standing. Okay, he rejoices. But then the rich, which will find it much more difficult when his financial standing lowers, rejoice. The rich should rejoice. And the reason is at the end of verse 10, because as the flower of grass, he shall pass away. Not just... There might come a day when money goes away, but the truth of the matter is, he himself will go away. The older I get, the more I feel this. 44, and you might think, hey, 44 ain't that old, but there's a lot of people that have dropped dead in their 40s, and I think about that regularly. I don't mind telling you when it's my time to die, weep not as those who have no hope. And yet, every single one of us, rich or poor, one day will pass away. And your life is as the flowers of the grass. This week, I walked through, on Friday, I walked through our upper field up here. And I observed and took a picture, and you can see it on the screen, took a picture of the flower of grass. From a distance, you cannot see those flowers. If you drive by, you can't see those flowers, but if you walk across the field, I think they're still there. I haven't checked today. I have walked through that field hundreds of times, and on Friday, I walked through that field, and I looked down at the grass. Last week, we got enough rain to make the flowers appear in the grass. Little purple flowers all across the grass, and I would venture to say probably tomorrow or the next day, they're definitely going to be gone. You see, they only pop up for a short time. The idea comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 and verse 8. All flesh is as grass, and all goodliness, in other words, the the nice parts of your life, is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You see, you can trust Him, you can trust Him in His goodness, you can trust Him in His promises, but you'll never be able to trust uncertain riches. In fact, I won't take the time to go there, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, shortly after having said the love of money is the root of all evil, says that those who search after riches will bring upon themselves a piercing of the soul. Oh, be careful. 
The search for riches will leave you empty. The gain of riches. And so there will be trials, financial trials in your life. What do you do in the midst of a financial trial? Count it all joy. Lord, you allowed this to come in my life. I'm thankful for it. It's going to be difficult, but I will, verse 9, I will rejoice. I know you're doing something. Number three, this is in verses 12 down to verse 15. This would be fighting sinful desires. Fighting sinful desires. There's a problem in that lust dwells within every person. See verse number 12 to open this. We'll read the remaining verses in just a moment. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. We've heard several words, count it all joy, rejoice. Now we see the word blessed. Boy, these are great words. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. Now, I've sat through enough counseling to hear people say things like, Pastor, I just have temptations that come up in my life. The fact that temptation comes up in your life is not sin. Temptation comes. That's natural. We'll see it later in in this passage. That lust dwells within you. That's going to be with you for the rest of your life. But blessed is the man that, here's the word, endures, comes through it. And by the way, as fleeting as the pleasures of sin are, can I remind you that the temptations that come along can be just as fleeting. Let those words be an encouragement, friend. The trial comes, you don't have to endure this forever. You stand your ground, you fight back. The Holy Spirit does His part, you're in Christ. It doesn't have to keep going and going. We'll see some verses that hopefully will be a help for you in a moment. But I say in the meantime, the only time that you will ever be free of temptation is when you're with the Lord Jesus in your glorified body. And I say again, even so come, Lord Jesus. So fight. Fight like your soul depends on it, friend. Because it does. Fight like your soul depends on it. Here's what James is saying. If temptation comes and you just give in to it, and you just roll over and play dead, and you just fall into sin, there's a really good chance as you look at this mirror, you're giving up in the midst of temptation. There's a really good chance that you're not a real believer. Just because you made a profession of faith, just because you told people, I'm a Christian, just because you prayed a prayer, maybe you cried when you prayed a prayer, just because you've been baptized doesn't mean that you're a real believer. There are tests that will come along in your life. What do you do? You see, a true believer has Christ living in them. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now there's times, friend, you're going to sin, but you should be sinning less. The longer you're a believer, you should be sinning less and you should be hating sin more. You should be loving our Lord Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit be the one who's guiding your walk. So I say it again, fight. Fight like your soul depends on it. Temptation will keep coming. But blessed is the man that endures temptation. I love the words that are used by James in chapter 5 and verse 11 as he writes again later in his epistle about trials. Here's what he says, James 5 and verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And if you know me and my preaching, I rarely use the word happy. 
You say, Pastor, you must have one grumpy life. No, I just don't gauge my entire life on how happy I am. But here's what James said. If you endure, you're not just going to be blessed. You're not just going to count it joy. You're not just going to rejoice. You're going to be happy. Oh, these are great, encouraging promises for us. So see the rest of verse 12 with me. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I don't want you to think of that as in one day I might go and be around the throne of God and he's going to give me a crown that has the word life on it. No, 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 no. This is what he means. You endure temptation, he's going to give you a crown. In this life, it's called real life. Everlasting life. You realize that eternal life doesn't have to start when you die? You don't have to wait until eternity to enjoy eternal life. You get to enjoy it now. I endure temptation. I throw behind me this temptation and I live for Christ. I get to enjoy life right now. And he's going to go, here, have life, real life. That's what real life is. Real life isn't falling in sin because temptation came along and I couldn't do anything about it. I'm its slave. That's not real life. Real life is saying, look, God's made a change in my life. So that when you get angry because you just backed your truck into somebody else's car, When you get angry in that moment, you go, no, wait a second. This isn't the way that a Christian's supposed to be. I've got about 10 seconds before I'm face to face with somebody else, and I sure hope he doesn't get to see this. I'm so thankful that in those 10 seconds it took for me to move from one thing into the next, I'm so thankful that I was reminded of the sermon that I had just written. Oh, brothers and sisters, I would have hated for five linesmen to walk away and say that pastor is one grumpy old man or one grumpy halfway old man. (laughs) Oh, friend, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let these things work in your heart. Let no man say, he says in verse 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Don't say that. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Let no man say he's tempted of God. Don't say, God tempted me with that sin. You just saw it in verse 14. Where does that enticement come from? That lust dwells within you. Your DNA is different from my DNA. There's a really good chance that a lot of our DNA overlaps. And so there's a a really good chance that a lot of our lust inside of us overlaps. But there's a good chance that some of those lusts that are within you are different from the lusts that are within me. And the fact of the matter is that lust dwells within me. And it's going to do its best to raise its ugly head from time to time. I hope that you're in Christ and that you've been made a new creature. And you don't have to follow after those old lusts. Now here he makes this statement, don't say it was of God. Now you might say, hang on a second, Jesus went into temptation. I want you to hear the words. This is Matthew 4 and verse 1. I don't have it on the board. This is Matthew 4 and verse 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let those words sink into your mind. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You go through things, trials, temptations, lusts, you go through these things in your life, 
the Holy Spirit of God is leading you and the temptation is coming from Satan. God's not the one putting sin in front of you. Satan's doing that. But God's bringing that up in your life so that you can see what parts of my life need to be eradicated. What do I need to get rid of from my life? And God's letting that happen. He's bringing it along and it's going to be for your good. It's a part of your sanctification process. I'm being made more and more like Him. But I have some encouraging words here. Here's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now before I go further, that is a double negative. In normal grammar and English, you don't use a double negative. Because double negatives cancel each other out. So when you use a double negative, you're driving home a point. So what's his point? His point is, we have a high priest who has gone through every temptation that you have ever gone through. He's gone through every temptation ever imaginable. He has gone through every temptation. And here's the reason. He says it in a double negative. Listen to him say it. We don't have a high priest who's never gone through stuff. No, we've had a high priest who has been through every temptation. And yet, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. But was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So when you come to the Lord Jesus in prayer, He knows exactly where you're coming from. He's been through it. And He went through it without sin. And He's going to be there cheering you on and encouraging you, living in you. He's in you, friend. He's living in you, hoping and trusting and strengthening. And I'm hoping that you're going to be walking through it. And then listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Mark that down. You're not the only one going through something like this. It's common. Others go through these similar temptations. But as you go through that temptation, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God assures you sinful temptations will come. They're going to come from within you. Satan's going to be there to encourage them, but God's going to give you a way to escape. He will make it possible for you to handle that temptation and He will provide a way for you to escape. No matter what the sin is, there is a route of escape. You just got to look for it. And if that route of escape is literally getting up and walking out and going for a walk, perhaps it might be a good idea. So how does that happen? We started reading it in verse 14. Continue this thought from verse 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That word enticed is the same idea as a fish hook. There's a bait on it. And when that fish comes along, you fishermen know, when that fish comes along, all he's thinking about is the bait. He's not thinking about the hook. And that lust is doing its work in your life, and it's there, and it's enticed, and it grabs you. Now verse 15, Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so the verse 15 switches from the image of a fish with a fish hook to now the image of a child being conceived. And it says that when lust 
has conceived, it brings forth sin. And oh, sin is not a beautiful little baby. No, sin is a life-destroying monster. And it'll come forth, and when it's finished, it will bring forth death, destruction in your life. Friend, oh, I say along with our brother James today, Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Don't give up in the middle of temptation for what's at the end of that. Lust, when it conceives, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, that nasty monster destroys your life. Oh, so far away from that crown of life that's promised to him who endures temptation. Coming to the conclusion in verses 16 down to verse 18, he's going to close this passage, and I want you to see a couple of really interesting things he has to say as he finishes do not err my beloved brethren every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights i told you to mark the word perfect back in verse four did you see the word perfect in verse four let patience have her perfect work as you go through trials and temptations in your life god's making you Perfect, entire, complete, and complete. And he's doing his perfect work. So now when we come to the closing of the passage, he says this in in verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above. That patience, that cheerful endurance that God's working in your life, that's a gift from him. And it's a good gift. And I love the phrase that's used here because we don't get to see this phrase very often in Scripture. It comes down from the Father of Lights. That phrase, Father of Lights, is an old Jewish phrase that is a throwback to the fact that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He's the Father of Lights. The Creator of Lights. Who else can do that? None. But then he continues on with a statement here in this idea of him being the Father of lights. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So every light that you know of has a variableness. The moon. Becky and I, every day this week, have gone for our walk, and I've pointed out to her each day, look at that star At about 5.50 in the morning, right about there, the moon is. And every morning, there's a star that gets further and further away from it at 5.50. I don't know why that is, but we just pointed it out. You see, there's a variableness. In fact, the moon itself, tomorrow, the 17th of July, is a new moon. The moon will be completely blacked out tomorrow. All rascal, you put stop long way. No can come around here. It'll be the new moon tomorrow. There's a variableness in the moon. And there's a shadow of turning as he speaks of the sun. As the sun comes up in the morning and tracks across the sky, you know what the sun's doing? It's casting a shadow. There's a shadow of turning. And yet our Heavenly Father, the Father of lights, no variableness in Him. No shadow of turning in Him. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He is, no, in Him is no darkness. He is the light of the world. Oh, we have a Heavenly Father who gives us good gifts and makes us to be perfect and complete in Him as He allows these temptations and trials to come up in our lives. Oh, don't quit in the middle of it. Hang on. 
And then there's one last verse and we'll be done. This is verse 18 as he closes this thought. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This very God of gods, the sovereign of all the universe, of his own will, he begat us unto himself through the word of truth. That's your salvation. Out of his own will. Nobody came to God and said, hey, you know, I saw the CV of this guy, and man, he's a really good one. You should really think about saving him. No. Out of his own will. He looked down through time and he said, I'll take that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. And whom he foreknew, he ordained that they would become the sons of God. Out of his own will, he chose you. Friend, he chose you to be his own and then he drew you to himself with the word of truth. He used the scriptures to draw your heart to him. You put your trust in him. Now, that's not all he did. Because if he did that, that would have been awesome. But he did that for a reason. And the reason that I say that he did it for a reason is because at the end of that phrase, there's a word that. Look at verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That. Modern English, you could say, so that. For a reason. And what was the reason? That we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wait a second. Firstfruit is a word that he reserves for his own son. Firstfruit is a word that God uses for Jesus. Here, I'll defend that. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Christ is the firstfruit. But notice the way that he said it in verse 18. We should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. That reminds me of Romans 8 in verse 29. Here's Romans 8 in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to them to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what God's doing? He's going, here's Jesus, the firstfruit, and then along come the rest of us. You see, the trials and temptations in your life are meant for your sanctification so that you will be progressively made more and more like Jesus being conformed into the image of his son. Paul said it in Romans 8. James is saying it in James chapter 1. We are being changed from one degree of glory into the next as trials and temptations come up in our life. Oh, we want to say all things work together for good and we want all those all things to be good things. But he's going, no, I'm bringing these things and allowing them to happen in your life for your good, for my glory. I'm making a change in your life. I'm going to make you to be a kind of first fruit. And I think bananas are the best kind of first fruit I've ever seen. I bet you almost everybody in here has planted a banana. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You plant that banana. That banana grows up and it goes tall. And then it bears fruit and it bears a lot. And you did a whole lot of work of bringing all the pipia and coming and putting it around the banana and it's just growing really nice. And then you guys know Sorry, the Americans, you guys have no idea. You know, forget about it. Just pay attention. <laughs> and right before that banana dies, 
It bears once and it dies. By the way, that's a great picture for your life. It bears once and it dies. And right before it dies, you guys know what it does, right? It puts the suckers. And up come those suckers after it. You know what the first one is? It's a first fruit. And it's the greatest, by the way, because all those suckers will come up and they'll never reach that same height. They'll never bear like the first one did. The first one is the best. You'll never get better than Jesus. <laughs> but we get to be a kind of first fruit. You see, he saved us and he did a work in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be a kind of, you saw it in verse 18, so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You'll never be sinless this side of heaven. Oh, but I sure hope you're sinning less. And I hope that those trials and tribulations are causing you to look to him more and more. Now let me close with one verse from the book of 1 Peter. Peter wrote in a time of tribulation. And if you remember Peter's story, church history tells us Peter was crucified. And as he went to the cross, he told them, please, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus because I don't deserve to be like Jesus. And he told them, find a different way to kill me. So they crucified him upside down. This guy knew what persecution was like. Now listen to the words of Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Wherein you greatly rejoice. I hope you've heard these words today. Count it all joy. Rejoice. Happy are you. Wherein you greatly rejoice that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what he just did? He just said, your trying of your faith, whether it's financial or it's fighting back against sin or it's I don't know what I'm supposed to do, that trial of your faith is precious. And he places it on the same level as gold that perishes in the fire. That gold is, the fire is causing the gold to give off the impurities that are going to be skimmed away so that that gold will be even more precious. And so friend, as the trials come in your life, don't give up. Don't quit halfway. Hang in there. Look to Him. Ask Him. I need wisdom. Endure. Blessed will you be. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You give us in the book of James this mirror against which we can test our faith. I pray that You would help us, Lord, in the midst of a trial to not quit. So often, we want to sort out the trial and then come back to You. What a mistaken way to think. But instead, Lord, in the midst of the trial, I pray we would look to you. God, give us wisdom. I need wisdom. I can't come up with the right answer by myself. I need the Lord Jesus living in me to be the one after whom I'm walking. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Would you help us to grasp this truth? Help us to find joy in temptation. Rich in your beautiful name, I ask it. Amen. Church, I love you. Thank you so much for following along. We're going to be happy.